this text in the middle of Jesus' long conversation, it has a lot of elements to it, and we're going to wrestle with some of that this morning, but really the essence of it is really straightforward and easy to understand. Jesus is teaching that love produces obedience, and obedience proves love. Love produces obedience, and obedience proves love. Look at verse 15. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. Very simple. Love produces obedience. Now, it's important for us to be reminded that love leads to obedience. Obedience doesn't lead to love. Obedience is a result of love. And then as love produces obedience, obedience in turn, it proves love. Look at what Jesus says in verse 31. Speaking of himself, he says, I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. Jesus obeys the commands of God the Father, and throughout the book of John, he's been saying, I I do nothing on my own accord. I only do what the Father tells me to do. I, I live my life in complete obedience to God the Father, and here he's saying, I obey so that the world may know that I love God. See, love is shown through action. Action doesn't earn love, but it shows love. Love produces obedience, and obedience proves love. These are the two bookends of this section here. And again, it's not the bookends of Jesus' conversation. John 13 through 17 is a long conversation with many different angles. Jesus sitting with his disciples the night before he was crucified has a ton going on in it. But in this section that we're looking at today, there's, there's sort of this bookend, right, that love produces obedience, and obedience, love produces obedience, and obedience proves love. They're simple to understand, but incredibly difficult to apply right? Amen? Is obedience hard? Can it be? Yes. Yes, it can. See, and here's the deal. We're going to spend some time going through this text, but obedience isn't something that you and I can just muster up in and of ourselves, and that's not what Jesus intended. When he says in verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commands, sometimes you and I, we focus on keep his commands, keep his commands, keep his commands, keep his commands, I have to keep his commands, I have to keep his commands, stop sinning and start doing good. But what does Jesus say? If you love me, you and I, we need to learn to focus on love so that obedience will be produced. See, love that doesn't produce obedience isn't love at all, it's just merely sentimental. And so, so love and obedience go together. Love without obedience is just empty words, right? Some of you who are in a marriage, if you say you love your spouse and never do anything to show your spouse love, how is that marriage going? Or how would it go? Play that out. Not very good. Some of you have experienced this, empty words of love, without action, without obedience, without relational connection, Love that doesn't produce obedience isn't love at all. It's just merely words. But obedience without love is lifeless. It's robotic. It's legalism. It's not obedience in the way of Jesus. And so many people in in, in the church culture and just even in our own flesh and religious impulse and, and like we are raised to think that our actions merit our worth, right? That's just life. You do your chores, you get an allowance. You go to school and do your homework, you get a report card. We live in this world and this this makeup and, and it's hardwired in each one of us that we think our worth is tied to our action. And Jesus here is teaching us that we are to obey, that's clear. 
right? He's, he's already taught us in John 13. We looked at this before that he says, as I do, you should do also. Look at John 13, verse 14, 15, and 16 with me. He says, if then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. We looked at this a couple weeks ago, but just a reminder, he's clearly telling us, you should obey, you should do what I do. If then your Lord and teacher has washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. So I have given you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. Verse 17, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Love produces obedience. Obedience proves love. But again, there's a way to obey that's like Jesus. See, you can have obedience without love, but you can't have love without obedience. The religious leaders of Jesus' day were masters of obedience, and yet their hearts were far from God, as we're told over and over and over again in the Gospels. Jesus' primary tension in his ministry was with religious leaders who were extremely obedient to the law of God. Obedience by itself is lifeless. A religious zealot can perform all kinds of spiritual disciplines and acts of charity and have no genuine love for God or others, right? All kinds, this is the Pharisees. Spiritual disciplines galore. Keep the Sabbath, go to the temple, give their money, pray, fast, do all of the spiritual disciplines and acts of charity and yet have no genuine love for God or others. The citizens of a land can obey the laws of the land and feel no affection, no love for the lawmakers, right? Amen? Like, there's speed limits. Some of you follow them, some of you don't. Doesn't, that's beside the point. Like, you don't know or love or care about the lawmakers so much, do you? It's like, there's some arbitrary laws out there that some of us follow, some of us don't, and we are, we could care less, for the most part, about the lawmakers and the politicians. In fact, sometimes we disdain them. A child can obey a parent's command to go clean their room and feel nothing but anger for having to turn the TV off. Trust me, this is my life right now. <laughs> and sometimes, Brittany and I get them to obey, and they do it without love or affection. We don't always win that battle, I hate to tell you. Uh, those of you parents who get your kids to do everything that you tell them to, please tell me how afterward. That would be an amazing thing to know. But we understand this point, right? An employee can obey a boss's request to get a project done by a certain date and feel nothing but disdain for being told what to do. Ask Ben or Kyle. <laughs> if you're new to Park, Ben and Kyle are my co-pastors who I work with. Obedience by itself is lifeless. We know this, right? We feel this, we experience this. So while Jesus does clearly teach us in this text that we need to obey, we have to pay attention to the way in which Jesus wants his disciples to obey. See, the motivation of our obedience and the character of our obedience and the source of our obedience matters as much as obedience itself. And this is a good reminder for those of us, especially those of you who have been raised in a church culture that may be focused on duty, moralism, the right way to approach God, the right way to come to church, this is probably deeply saturated in you that like you your 
experience of God and his love ebbs and flows with your obedience to him. And and Jesus is here to set us free of that yoke, that his love doesn't ebb and flow with our obedience. Our obedience is produced by love. It's from his love, and it's our focusing in on his love that will change the way that we act. Changing the way that we act doesn't change our love for God. Obedience by itself is lifeless, but obedience in the way of Jesus is life-giving, and it's full of life. Jesus wants us to obey God like he does. That's very clear in this text, right? Verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. He wants us to obey God, but he wants us to do it like he does, in a life-giving way rather than a life-sucking way. We need to learn how to obey in the way of Jesus. And so the question this morning, one of them is, how did Jesus obey? What what was it about Jesus that, that gave him such incredible obedience to God the Father? And, and here's the answer. It's by the Spirit, Jesus, he, he depended on the Spirit for love, trust, to love God, to trust God, and to obey God. This is the reality that we need to be reminded of. Jesus is fully man and fully God, yes. But Jesus, in his earthly life, he didn't use his divinity to go about his life. He depended on the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus comes as fully man, depending on the power and presence of the Holy Spirit in the same way that you and I can depend on the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Jesus has told us in this text, look at verse 16. So he tells us in verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commands. Obedience is produced by love. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. We need a helper. We need the the paraclete. This is a Greek word. One who comes alongside us in order to fulfill the commands of Jesus. Jesus himself was fully dependent on the Spirit to love God, to trust God, and to obey God. Now, I spent all week trying to wrestle out how love, trust, and obeying obedience work together. And you can't separate these three. John 13 through 17, it's all about love of God, trust of God, and obedience to God, and they work together. They're all interrelated. And Jesus himself, it's really important for us to be reminded that Jesus gives us an example of how to live, right? He That's what the Gospels are. It's him living his life, giving us an example of how we ought to live. He's also our substitute, right? So Jesus is both our our example and our substitute. He dies in our place on our behalf. He overcomes sin and death in the grave to grant us new life. But then in that new life that you and I have now as a result of Jesus as our substitute, we look at him as as our example. How now do I live? I have a new life. I've been born again. John chapter three, we looked at this months ago. Nicodemus, one of the religious leaders, is having a conversation with Jesus, trying to understand what it means to follow Jesus and to live for him. And Jesus says, you must be born again. There's this new birth of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus modeled what it looked like to live by the Holy Spirit. Jesus' perfect love of God the Father, his trust of God the Father, and his obedience to God the Father was because he was dependent on the Holy Spirit. We don't have time to to do a scriptural survey of all these different texts this morning, but Jesus, just think about this. Jesus, he was dependent on the Holy Spirit in his birth. It says that 
Mary was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Jesus' life from the very beginning, his conception is dependent upon the ministry, the person of the Holy Spirit. It says, as Jesus grew in wisdom and stature, he was dependent on the Holy Spirit for his growth. He was dependent on the Holy Spirit in his baptism. You remember, in his baptism, when he was baptized by John the Baptist, the Holy Spirit descended like a dove upon him anointing Jesus as the Christ for his ministry. He already was the Christ, but it was an acknowledgement. This is the Christ, God's voice from heaven. This is my son with whom I am well pleased. He's filled with the Holy Spirit, which then energizes his ministry. Three years of ministry, Jesus did incredible things. We looked at this last week at the end of John, John chapter 21, verse 25 or 35. I don't remember if it goes to 25 or 35. The last verse of this letter, John says that Jesus did so many works and miracles that, all of, that if they were all contained, the books of the world could not contain it, right? And all of those were done by the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in Jesus as he, dependent on the, as he depended on the Holy Spirit. His ministry was dependent on the Holy Spirit. There's passages in Scripture that say his death was dependent on the Holy Spirit. When he went to the cross and took all of our shame, all of our sin, all of our guilt, all of our pain, all of our brokenness upon his own shoulders on the cross, and, and even as he felt physical pain of torture leading up to that moment, and if you remember last week we looked at this, he, in the Garden of Gethsemane said, Father, if there be any other way, may you take this cup from me. I don't want to go through this, yet not my will be done, but your will be done. The thing that held Jesus on the cross, the person who held Jesus on the cross, was not that he was Superman divine, he was relying on his divine power, he was relying on the Holy Spirit, which in in fact, is divine power. It's just not his Godhead. So Jesus, he gives you and I an example, and there's passages in Scripture which tell, which tell us it was by the power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus was resurrected back to new life. His entire life, from birth to death, was dependent on the Holy Spirit for him to love God, for him to trust God, and for him to obey God. So how do we obey Right? Jesus says in verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Again, in verse 31, I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Love produces obedience. Obedience proves love. Jesus is calling us into this life of obedience. A life of obedience like Jesus The key is that you and I, as followers of Jesus, actually have to obey God in a like manner to how Jesus obeyed God. We can't take our fleshly understanding of obedience or a religious understanding of obedience and apply it to the Christian life. That will send us in all type of weird places. We have to understand how did Jesus obey God, and we have to likewise obey God like Jesus obeyed God. So we saw how Jesus obeyed God, dependence upon the Holy Spirit, and love, trust, and obedience. How do we obey God? Well, you guessed it, the same thing. Disciples of Jesus depend on the Spirit to love God, to trust God, and to obey God. This is precisely what Jesus says, verse 16, And I will ask the Father... 
And he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. This is the distinguishing mark between a genuine, true disciple of Jesus and a non-disciple of Jesus. Someone who has been born again. The Holy Spirit of God has been given to us. The helper of God. And I said last week, the best way to understand the, the Holy Spirit and what his role is and what his purpose is, it's to help us become like Jesus. That's what the Holy Spirit does. So when we think about obedience as a Christian... We have to keep in mind that we are dependent upon the Holy Spirit of God for our obedience. And the Holy Spirit of God helps us to understand God, to know God intimately, to love God holistically. And love produces obedience. And obedience produces trust. Right When you step out in something in faith, in obedience, and that thing comes through, you begin to trust it. These are how all three of these are connected. As I said in the beginning, the motivation of our obedience, the character of obedience, and the source of our obedience matters as much as the obedience itself. And so you and I, we need to learn to obey like Jesus. Like Jesus, the source of our obedience is the Holy Spirit. Like Jesus, the source of our obedience is the Holy Spirit. If you're trying to obey God in your flesh, you will fail. Maybe you'll succeed with external acts or even internal like disciplines, spiritual disciplines to do what God calls us to do, but it won't bring life. It won't generate life. It'll have mixed motivations. It'll have, it, it, it will be likely in your own self-will and determination and effort. See, like Jesus, the source of our obedience is the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 16 through 18. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you, and he will be in you. There's this internal transformation for the people of God. If you're struggling with obedience, and obedience, always, there's always a certain level of struggle here. So don't hear me saying that like, well, if you're just filled with the Holy Spirit, it's always easy. We wrestle with the flesh. Right? The Apostle Paul, even in the book of Romans, said, why do I do what I hate and I can't do what I want to do? There's this tension, this wrestling, and it's our flesh and the Spirit wrestling with each other. But when we learn to bring our fleshly impulses and desires into submission to God's will, and when his Holy Spirit transforms us and continues to transform us, he is the source of our obedience. And it says, I, I will be in you and I will be with you. Verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. You're not alone. Obeying Jesus doesn't come from our own determination and effort and willpower. Again, if you're the really determined type and you set your mind to it, you're like, hey, I'm going to do some spiritual disciplines and you just check it off, it, it's probably resulting in pride if it's not a gift of the Holy Spirit. And then some of you, you're not very disciplined. Like you're like, willpower, oh man, if I don't have any. Oh, you're in luck. It doesn't depend on your willpower anyway. 
depends on the Holy Spirit producing in you over time the type of obedience that Jesus had. I love David Benner in his book, Surrender to Love, which I highly encourage you to read related to this topic. It has some incredible themes similar to John 13 through 17. In this book, he says, early Christian writers often imagine the Christian life in terms of living in water like a fish. Tertullian called Christ the heavenly fish and Christians little fish. Christians, according to these writers, are born and live within the divine waters of the Spirit. The Christian life is learning to be supported by these waters. It's, it's this surrender to what God is doing. As I thought about this quote and as I've been reading this book and, and, and thinking through this chapter, it kind of came to me just in these three little phrases, like what we're supposed to do is love the community, trust the current, and obey the Creator. Love the community. That's the community of other fish, if you will, right? Let's stick with Tertullian's idea here. Like, if you think about a school of fish, they're all together in a community. I don't know if fish love one another. Probably not. I don't, you know, watch Finding Dory or Nemo. Maybe they do. I don't know. But fish travel in schools and communities. And in a similar manner, we see through the Gospels, as we've seen in John chapter 13, love one another, love one another. Life in obedience to God developed out of love. It's loving the community. It's loving the little fish, as Tertullian says, and also the heavenly fish, the big fish. We must love the community, and that's what Jesus is after here with his community of disciples. He's creating a community of love, people who would see God, know God, and love God because they see and know and love God in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And then, as he says, I will send the Holy Spirit who will help you to see God, know God, and love God. Also, this Holy Spirit will help you to see, know, and love one another, love the community. But then trust the current. Right? So much of our Christian life is just our life in general, whether you ascribe it to the Christian life or not, just we, we try to control things. We have agendas. We have plans. We want to create stuff. And, and God gives us creative minds and creative abilities. But we need to be reminded to trust the current. Like, think about fish in a river or fish in the ocean or fish in a lake. There's currents underneath the surface. In a river, you can see them. There's currents all over the place. In, in a lake or an ocean, there's often currents underneath the surface. And, and fish often go with the current. Some fish fight the current and go opposite. So every analogy breaks down. Don't hold me to this if you're like a fish expert. But, but fish need to just live in the current, right? They have to live in the water and follow the currents or fight the currents, however God designed them to work. And this is the same for you and I. We live in this world, in this community, in our existence in such a way where we just have to sometimes trust the Holy Spirit that he's doing work in and through and around us that you and I could never do on our own, that you and I couldn't manufacture on our own, that you and I couldn't structure on our own. Amen? Isn't that good? Like, take that burden of trying off yourself. When Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commands in verse 15, he's not placing a, a, a yoke of burden and law and duty on you. So often we try to manufacture our obedience or, or grin and bear it. Jesus is saying, if you love me, you will obey. It's just 
As simple as that. Trust the current. Stop trying to create your own current. Stop, stop trying to think that you know better. And then obey the creator. Like, fish are bound to the laws of creation, right? They need water to, to breathe, water to go through their gills. They're, they're bound to the laws of creation in the same way you and I were bound to the laws of life. We need water and food and shelter to live. Likewise, there, there are laws from God, our creator, right, for our body, mind, and soul, which, which must be obeyed for us to flourish. This is what it means to, to live life for God. And Jesus here, he's, he, he's trying to help us to obey in the way of Jesus, which is to just love God and others. The greatest commandment. Trust God, not self. Which is what Jesus is doing time and time and time again throughout the scriptures. And then obey the creator. Again, verse 31. I do as the Father has commanded me. This idea of obedience. So that the world may know that I love the Father. His obedience to God is showing love for God. Like Jesus, the motivation of our obedience is love. So the power, the source of our obedience is the Holy Spirit. The motivation of our obedience is love. And again, back to verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commands. Our motivation for obedience, it's not God's approval. It's not earning God's love. It's that we have love. Love motivates our obedience. And sometimes obedience helps your love, right? And so I... I I don't want you to hear me saying like, this is, again, you can't separate the two or the three put in trust. They're all interconnected and they can't be reduced from one another. But like Jesus, the motivation of our obedience is love. Love produces obedience. We obey because we love. And so church family, I want to remind you, if you're struggling with your obedience to God the Father, receive his love. Receive his love. Receive his love. His love will produce in you over time increased obedience. See, what captures our heart compels our behavior, does it not? What captures your heart compels your behavior. I love fantasy baseball. So I spend hours on fantasy baseball. My love, what captures my heart, baseball in all of its facets... I know the twins lost, even though I prayed in Jesus' name that they wouldn't. It's a big bummer. But here's, here's my way around being disappointed. I'm a baseball fan first, and then a Twins fan, and then a Dodgers fan. So this year, even though both of my teams are now out of the postseason, I'm still a baseball fan. I love baseball, and it captures my heart. Therefore, it shapes my behavior. I spend a lot of time, probably too much time. Thankfully, I live in community. People who can call me out, I have a wife who's like, are you really on fantasy baseball again? It's the off-season, and it's like 8 p.m. at night. What are you doing? I'm like, yes, thank you, you're right. This is a reminder, though, that what captures our heart controls or shapes our behavior. And so if God is capturing our heart, at increasing measures, day after day, week after week, year after year, it, it, and there may be some downward progressions in there, right? It's not always up and to the right. 
Some of you are walking through the dark night of the soul, and you're like, man, God is not capturing my heart right now. I'm captured by the things of the world. Well, if you're captured by the things of the world, you're going to start to do the things of the world, and God in his grace and goodness and patience will keep walking with you, keep walking with you, keep walking with you, and eventually he will wake you up in his own timing through the power of his spirit in his own way. This is all just the point, though, that right, what captures our heart will begin to control our behavior. Again, David Benner says in the book Surrender to Love, he says, those who love obey, but not all who obey love. It is quite easy to obey God for the wrong reasons. What God desires is submission of our heart and will, not simply compliance in our behavior. In fact, obedience that does not flow from the heart counts for very little in the eyes of God. Our motivations count because God wants our love and friendship, not just the right behavior. And isn't this so true? This is a relational connection to God. He wants our love and our friendship, not just our behavior. If he simply wanted compliance, he could have created a race of automatons. But desiring communion, which with beings enough like him to make intimacy possible, he created humans. Isn't that mind-blowing? God doesn't just want you to go through dry obedience. He wants your heart. He wants relationship. And then lastly, like Jesus, the character of our trust, of our obedience is trust. And this is the entire thrust of the book of John. Look at John chapter 14, verse 1, which we looked at last week, uh, two weeks ago, actually. Jesus, in the middle of this talk, he says, let not your hearts be troubled, Believe in God, believe also in me. Again, that Greek word is pistis. It's trust, faith, belief. It's stepping out. He's inviting us into this relationship where we trust him at increasing measures. Obedience, as we obey, it builds trust. Stepping out in faith first requires stepping into the unknown, right? It it is faith. It requires a little level of trust. Well, I'm not quite sure. This is like a kid learning to swim, a kid learning to ride a bike, the good old-fashioned trust fall. There's somebody here encouraging me, saying, you can trust me, you can trust me, you can trust me. And that first step into the unknown, you're still questioning. There's a little element of trust. This is why you can't separate any of these three, love, trust, and obedience, right? They're all interrelated. But as we step out in obedience, trust is built. Obedience builds our trust. You trust that pew would hold you enough to sit down on it, and as it holds you week after week after week after week, you trust it. This is how trust works. God called Brittany and I to St. Louis Park to plant a church 11 years ago, and we knew nothing. It was stepping out into the unknown. And as we stepped into the unknown, trusting that God would care for us and take care of us, God has cared for us and taken care of us in ways immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine. And in that journey of obedience, our trust has been built. Your trust doesn't grow without obedience. But you can't obey rightly in the way of Jesus without love. So these are interrelated and connected. The motivation of our obedience, the character of our obedience, and the source of our obedience matters as much as the obedience itself. Yes, Jesus calls us to obey, but we must learn to obey like Jesus obeyed. Jesus is inviting us into a relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I love, we sang that this morning. Praise the Father, praise the Son, praise the Spirit, three in one.
What Jesus is doing in John 13 through 17 is inviting us into a relationship with God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He's, in, he's inviting us into a relational obedience with the Trinity. Not just a religious obedience to man-made law. He's inviting us to a relational love with the Trinity, not empty love of man-made pleasure. He's inviting us to relational trust in the Trinity, not an intellectual assent to man-made doctrine. Jesus wants us to love him, and our love of him will produce obedience to him. And obedience to him will grow in trust of him. And when love and obedience and trust collide in relationship with him, we experience abundant life in him. Listen again to the words of love, the invitation and the promise that Jesus speaks in this text. Verse 17, he says, You know the Father, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Verse 18, he says, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Verse 20 and 21, he says, In that day you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Verse 23, he says, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and the Father will love him, and will come to him and make our home with him. Verse 27, Peace. I leave with you my peace, I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. These words of Jesus were spoken to the disciples at the Last Supper. Over bread and wine, he invited them into a life-giving relationship of love and trust that would produce obedience. This was made possible by the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, come. Deepen our love, strengthen our trust, and produce in us obedience. Here again this morning, Jesus invites you and I to the table, a place where we are reminded of his perfect obedience to God the Father. As the Apostle Paul wrote in Philippians 2, he said, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I want to invite you to the table again this morning to be reminded of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. Let me pray. Jesus, we love you. And I pray that you would produce more love in us for you. Holy Spirit, come. Give us supernatural love for God the Father. And I ask that that love would produce in increased measure obedience to God the Father's good commands that bring life and flourishing. And as we obey, I pray that our trust would continue to be shaped and formed and strengthened. And God, for all of this, we depend on your spirit. And so again, we pray, come, Holy Spirit, come. Fill us anew. We come to the table to receive your grace. Fill us with it, we pray in Jesus' name.